0: Hi, I'm Holly. I'm Caleb Joshua. I decided to open up my own agency. I'm a lawyer. I'm a colorist in the fashion industry. I work at a law firm. I'm a professional boy wrangler. I work in commercial real estate. I'm a seasoned human resources professional. Emails and client calls, and I lost the house that I cherished. A typical day is waking up next to my wife. Couldn't get her out of my head. (laughs) I'm the tallest person in my family. I like to make comic books. I got a tattoo of a tree. I love, I love that. Yeah, so that's all I think about. Who do you think, who do you think you are? Many of you probably have used the website or something similar called Ancestry.com where you find out a little bit about your historical records by using your DNA. And one of the uh, main sites that does this called ancestry? Ancestry DNA says, discover a more complete story of you. Discover a more complete story of you. Interesting tag on, right? Uh, You wanna know more about yourself, know about your history. Maybe you don't wanna know about your history. Um, My sister-in-law took uh, the genetic makeup test a few years ago, she needed it for some health issues and it dealt quite a blow to my son, Colin. He was told all along. We thought that he was one sixteenth Cherokee Indian, and come to find out, he was a zero Cherokee Indian, and so uh, kind of ruined his like whole image of himself. He he t- took great pride in the fact that he was partially Native American. But you know, whether you're 60% Irish, English, German, whatever you are, does that really define who you are? Does that make up the complete story of you? What defines you, honestly? What makes you? who you are, what makes you think you are who you are. And an identity crisis is a very real thing. In our day and age, we know this is like on the forefront in this day of individualism, that everybody wants to come to terms with their identity. And so I feel like this uh, three week topical series is very timely. And it's timely for several different reasons is, as I mentioned, people want to know what makes me, me. But we live in an age where, everyone seems free to just declare themselves to be whoever they want to be. And so the world bombards us with these competing ideas that it's sometimes it's hard to answer that question. Even as someone who has faith, it's difficult to answer that. If you're in high school, you know that there are certain things that define you to make you who you feel like you need to be who you are. And if you don't have these things, then you don't quite measure up. For me, it was back in 1986, the first Air Jordans came out. And I wanted those Air Jordans. Those were like such a huge deal. And to wear those were like a huge status symbol uh, for our basketball team. And so some people got them and some didn't. Some people, maybe their parents, you know, said there's no way we're spending that kind of money on those shoes. That was a big thing for us. Our jeans, the branded jeans in high school were huge deals for us. But as you get older, those things may change. Your car, your job, your influence, the type of boat where you live, your political affiliations, your fitness level, your marital status, your achievements, your social status, your professional or personal contacts. These things, whether we like to admit it or not, they define they who we are. In fact, introduce somebody. When you introduce somebody, how do you introduce them? Hey, I want you to meet my friend Trey. He's, he's a farmer. Or I want you to meet my friend Dallas. He can play the guitar. You know, we use things to tag people, to describe them, and oftentimes that's what we come up with, identifiers. And that's, some of that's just normal, but in a day and age where, our, especially our young people, our kids are being told, be authentic, love yourself, be true to yourself, discover what makes you happy, be proud of it, and express yourself, there's real dangers in that as parents who want to see our kids be identified as Christ followers first and foremost. And so what compelling desires make you you? Do you listen to your feelings or do you listen to the sovereign God of the scriptures? Where do you find your sense of self? Where do your kids find their sense of worth? What makes you feel significant? What makes you feel confident of your value? And ironically, having a proper understanding of ourselves doesn't start with ourselves. Having a proper understanding of ourselves doesn't come by looking in the mirror or looking at your family tree. A proper understanding of yourself must begin with God. It has to begin with God. And today I was going to start this series out by going through Ephesians chapter one, but I really felt like there was a need to go back even further to the beginning, the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to pray, and then we're going to look a little bit at this and this whole topic of who am I. And I hope today that as parents and even as adults who may struggle with some of these things, that we can understand that we have to see God, a bigger view of God, if we're to truly understand our place and our purpose in this world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that has stood the test of time. Many nations, rulers, kings have tried to rid this earth of your word, of your truth, but with no success. And we stand here today to declare your truth that stands forever because you stand forever. And God, we thank you for Jesus that unifies us. And I pray today that through your word, through the fellowship of our church community, through the taking of the Lord's Supper, that your grace might flow even greater through us, that we might see a bigger picture of you by your grace, and we might move our hearts and lives closer to you. Give us boldness and courage, especially as parents in this day and age. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A.W. Tozer, who wrote a book called The Pursuit of God, really loved that book, it's back on the resource cart if you want to check it out. It's for you can it's a loaning book. You can just check it out literally. He writes this. He says, "What comes to into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us." So try that for a second. Just in your own mind, picture God. Imagine God. What kind of qualities, what kind of feelings, what kind of things come into your head? You know, many people see God as this grandfather in the sky, this big hearted guy who he never wants to hurt your feelings. Talked to a guy like that yesterday. God, he doesn't have rules. He's not going to push anything on you. He doesn't want to enforce anything. He just wants to give you your space and you'd be happy and you just figure this out. and, And he's there for you if you need his help. Many people believe that about God. Some people go to the yoga stream and see God as this angry judge who's shooting lightning bolts down from the sky. I grew up in churches. That was kind of the image I had of God that, you know, if I messed up or I sinned or I didn't get my life together, that my mom was going to get cancer or this bad stuff was going to happen to me. And so there was this angry God. And then some people just have this more detached view of God. This would be some of our founding fathers like Thomas Jefferson had this idea that God just, he wound up the clock, and then he set it off, and he let it just run by itself. And he you know, just sort of was uh, just hands off on his creation, what's called deism. And, and so they view God as this clockmaker who just winds it up and lets it go. But we have to know the biblical view of God and who God says he is. And the God of the Bible is the God who has always been. He's always existed. And he's always existed exactly as he is right now. He's beyond our ability to fully comprehend And Scripture tells us in the beginning that he spoke everything into existence. By his command, the entire universe was created and filled with this dramatic display of galaxies and stars and planets, including our planet Earth. And God declared his creation good and provided a perfect garden of paradise called Eden for his masterpiece, man and woman, he created in his image. The most beautiful of all things, man and woman. And God made man and woman to reflect his image. In Genesis 1, 27, he said this about his creation. He says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In his image. Scripture doesn't go into a lot of detail regarding what exactly it means to be an image bearer of God but we know that it speaks to our nature and our purpose. The emphasis primarily is on our human dignity, but more importantly, I think it is about that we've been appointed to imitate God in some particular way. We've been asked to imitate God. And so as image bearers of God, all people have intrinsic value. All people have value and unique dignity and unique glory amongst, amongst all of God's creation. And we were made to communicate who God is. That's our purpose. If you dig down to the bottom, that's what we're about. And interestingly enough, if you think about it, it when Adam and Eve were recreated, who were they to reflect or display God's image to? they were the only two on earth, of course, there were more people to be born soon, and they were to reflect it, those, his image to those people as well. But I think it's even bigger than that. I think, and I love how Pastor Stephen Cole says it. He says, but that isn't the full picture. The more complete answer is, the man and the woman were to reflect God's image to the angelic host, both good and evil. The earth is the theater for God's ultimate victory over Satan and his fallen angels. So it's sort of like this Ephesians 6 where it talks about This warfare that we have going on against principalities and powers and rulers. This stuff that seems beyond our ability to comprehend that there's this huge spiritual battle that's happening. A few weeks ago, I may have mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but in our morning Bible study that we do with our boys on Wednesday morning at 7 a.m., the dads get to teach uh, uh, periodically, and my topic was on demons. Demons. And it was just an incredible study that I had. In fact, Richard said, you need to do that in church some Sunday. And I will at some point because it was really enlightening to me to really see what the Bible has to say about demons and fallen angels and Satan. And this is real stuff. And it shouldn't be the center of our focus. We don't always just think about that because we, we know that if we just center in on this invisible war that's going on, this spiritual war, we'll miss the practical stuff we have to do right in front of us. But it's real, and we've been created not just to display God's glory to those around us, but also the angels, fallen angels, angels in heaven are watching us. They marvel at the gospel and the opportunity we have. And so God created us to bear his image, to be, I think of it like we're signposts. I don't know over the years, those who have lived here for a while, when you go down 27 toward Florida and you get to the Florida sign, you know, every year or two, you always see a group of people out taking their picture by the, by the Florida sign, right? We've arrived in paradise. Here we are, All right, Let's snap a picture. We made it to sunny Florida, the Sunshine State. Anybody ever seen besides me, seen people with a sign taking pictures? But I mean, we understand that, right? We understand them wanting to do that. It made a long trip to get there. But wouldn't it be silly if they just like literally like pulled out tents out of out of their cars and they like camped up right there by the sign we made it we're here Florida we're we're here and so we're just going to soak it in and enjoy it because we made it to Florida. No, that's silly because the sign tells you and it points to something so much bigger than that spot right there. And so I like to think of ourselves we're like signs that point to God. We should be image bearers and so when people see us The original purpose of us being created was to point to God's glory, to point to him and to show his worth and his value. And so it's so important that we talk about our identity. And there's no problem. I mean, I don't think it's a conflict to understand that we find significance in our work. God created us to want to work. God created us to want to have a family. God created us to want to have good things in our life. And those things do combine to us and make us and give us value and give our lives value, but it's not what we're about. And so a proper view of God has to be there or there's no durable core to why we're here. There's nothing about our life that means anything or points to anything greater. And so when you understand that God created man in his image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them that it's become so much bigger than us. It points to something so much greater, which is God. And it sure doesn't seem like humanity, does it? We're doing a very good job of pointing to God, right? I mean, think about it. Think about the news the last couple years. Think about the events of our world these last few years. You look at humanity, and it doesn't look like we're doing such a good job of being image bearers of God. Today's Family Worship Sunday, and I know this is pretty heady, and our kids can get really easily detached from it. Uh, Samuel Gravely is going to help me. He asked me the other day if he could help me with an illustration. So Samuel here, he's going to run up here and help me with something. Uh, where's he? Oh, there he is. All right, cool. Come right here, Samuel. So everybody can see what you're going to be holding here. I don't know if they can get this on camera. It's going to be kind of small. All right. So this is not a magic trick. I know your brother loves to do magic tricks. This is not a magic trick. But so you don't have to think anything too uh, deep about this. But what is this right here? A it's a dollar. Okay. So I want you to take that dollar, and I want you to hold it out where everybody can see it. Just spread it out. Spread it out where everybody can see it. All right. What is that again? Dollar. Hold it up nice and high. How do you know that's a dollar? <laughs> that's weird. It's weird. <laughs> How do you, you don't know it's a dollar or you, know, you think it's a dollar? You're pretty certain it's a dollar. Yeah. Okay. It says, what does it say? So dollar. Does it say $1? No. What's it say? So it could be $5, $5, right? No, you don't know. I think I broke some law defacing this dollar bill. Say, so forgive me. Hank, please don't arrest me after this, okay? Um, here's a good illustration, the best one I could think of, all right? At one point, this had value. I doubt it seriously does anymore. At one point, it resembled what it should resemble. Now it's been distorted and defaced, and it does no longer probably has the value that it once held. And I wanted to, us to think about God's image reflecting that way. Everyone was made in the image of God. And just because of sin doesn't mean that humanity loses the image of God. But it's defaced and it's so maligned that it's hard to even make sense when you look at it. If, is this really what it's about? Is this really what it is? And if you want to try to use this at the store later, more power to you, all right? Tell, your, tell them that your dad did that, okay? And, and you're welcome to try it. And see me afterwards, and I'll give you a real dollar or two, all right? and so give him a hand, all right? And so we we look at humanity, and we see some image of God in humanity, but when you look too deeply, you see, wow, it's been so distorted, and it's been so messed up. A friend of mine who's in law enforcement, his name's George Simernios. He came to visit us about, I guess, eight years ago. He, uh, He came to speak for our student ministry. He uh, is a part-time pastor, and he's the chaplain, does a great job of just sharing Christ with the guys he works with and speaks for hundreds of people at funerals when somebody in law enforcement it, dies. And so George came here to to speak for us. And Michelle and I, were, we, we took him out to, to dinner one night, and he, he literally just, which is so out of character for him, he just literally, he just broke down. And, and, he, and he said, he said, I've lost all faith in humanity. He said, I'm daily dealing with drug addicts and sexual predators and runaway teenage girls who have turned to prostitution. He goes, I I I have to go and tell parents their child has been killed by a drunk driver. I deal with homeless people. I deal with disrespect. I deal with good citizens who are unwilling to show any kind of respect to, to somebody who's an officer. And this was years ago. You can imagine even more so today. And he said, I've even encountered pastors in the line of duty who have been big, the biggest jurors you can imagine. And, and he literally broke down. He said, I've lost all faith in humanity. He said, I, I don't like people any longer. And, and he said, pray for me. I don't like people. And I can report to you today that he's completely past that. God's moved him past past that. But we know that to be true, when we look at, this world, sometimes we can be so discouraged, but the truth of the matter, when we look at our own self, we look at our own life, we can be disappointed with ourselves. We look at our family, we can be disappointed. We look at the shame that we bring to ourselves, the things that we do or our family does or just this general low level hum that exists with us that we're disappointed with life sometimes. We're just discouraged because sin has defaced the image of God in his creation. Sin has defaced the image of God in his creation. And like that dollar bill, it has some resemblance of its former self, but it's lost its ability to accomplish what it was created for. It lacks its value of its former self. Made it in the image of God, but as a result of sin in the fall, we have defaced the image. In ourselves, we cannot fulfill our purpose. So Adam and Eve... They had one rule, right? Adam and Eve, you know the story. Even if you're not from church, you probably know the deal. They were told not to eat the fruit from one tree, and you know how that ended. That's what they wanted to do. Shouldn't shock us too much because we're guilty of the same thing, right? We do the same things. We get bored with our freedom, with our blessing, and we look over the fence, and we say, well, you know, that's what I need to make me happy, or that's what I need to be fulfilled. And so in rebellion against God, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, deciding that they— not God, would determine right from wrong, and the consequences of their actions were devastating. And like a virus, sin entered into into all creation into the hearts of every human being, and sin and suffering and pain were passed down from generation to generation, and all creation was defaced and distorted from its original design. We are broken. Sin has compromised us down to the core. As image bearers of God, our whole purpose for being created, we're no longer able to do that in and of of ourselves. Sin has distorted us completely. We've been compromised at the core. And this disease goes down to the roots, and we're incapable of finding redemption of our own. I think it's like Jeremiah talked about. We're broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We pour stuff in, pour stuff in, expecting it to fill us up, it never fills us up because it's not God and it's not God's purpose and it's not his intentions. And as parents, on Family Worship Sunday, you live in a world that's working overtime to lie to your kids and sell them on something that's going to ultimately devastate their life and destroy their life. And in this life, they may find a degree of success by the world standards. They may... Find some fulfillment in something they do because all of creation is God's creation. But ultimately, it will fail them. If not in this life, for sure it will fail them in the next life. And so it's a really good place to get to when we can honestly admit to ourselves, admit to our family, admit to one another that we need something more. We need more. And when we can admit that and we we admit that our attempts at redemption fail, we've reached a really good spot. And that's one of the reasons we take communion. We take communion to remind us that we need Jesus. We still need Jesus. We didn't just get Jesus 12 and a half years ago at a revival. Or we didn't get it through our parents talking to us about it and then we're good to go. We continue to need Jesus each and every day if we're going to fulfill our purpose, if we're going to live life the way that God's called us to live, and if we're going to get to where the stuff that we despise the most about ourselves is going to die, and where our disappointments and dreams that are dashed can be put to rest, it has to be done at the cross. It has to be done through Jesus. And so let's go back to what I said earlier. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's why we have to keep going back to the gospel again and again. And so this whole idea of God and who God is and who he says he is, God is both loving and just. If God were not just, there would be no need for Jesus to come and suffer on the cross, right? There would have been no need for Jesus to come and suffer if God did not have justice in his mind, that he didn't have a need for it. But if God were not loving, there would be no willingness on behalf of Jesus to suffer and die for our sins. So we have this perfect combination with God of his love and his justice. His love and his justice. And so, unlike what the gentleman was telling me yesterday about God, just he doesn't have rules, rules aren't a big deal to God. Look at 1 John 4.10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This idea of God's wrath is not a popular topic today, even among churches. It's written out of hymn books. It's refused to be talked about. But if you look at this verse, and I'll explain propitiation, or you can see it on the screen already, that you understand that the Son would not have have come. Why did Jesus come? Jesus had to come to satisfy God's holy wrath. And God's wrath is holy and is always justified, unlike ours that's never holy and rarely justified. So this idea of propitiation refers to the turning away of the wrath of God as the just just judgment for our sins by God's own provision of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's a lot to say. It's an important concept that the wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus Christ, that God's wrath was satisfied because Jesus came and so this idea of propitiation. In the Old Testament, you may think, well, God's, God's uh, wrath against sin was satisfied through the sacrifices, the atonement. The, each year, sacrifices were made for the atonement of sin. But I love the, the word that John pulls out in 1 John 4.10 to be the propitiation, the once-for-all satisfaction. That there's no need to go and to re-offer sacrifices to appease God. God is fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. And when we place our faith in Jesus, when we put on Christ, as Paul likes to say, God makes begins this process of shaping us and making us again into the image of our creator. This union with Christ allows us once again to fulfill our purpose for which we were originally created. And so we look at mankind and it's tough sometimes to see the image of God in the world at large, At times we get little glimpses or say, wow, that does kind of, you know, there's some good there. But it's so distorted, it's so broken, it's so mutilated that it's tough to see oftentimes. And it's only through Jesus Christ and his work, through his restoration, through his, our union with him, that we're now able to, once again, image the creator. Colossians 3.10 says it beautifully. It says, and we have put on the new self, the new man, the new self which is being what? Being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Being renewed. You have a chance. You have hope. You have life. You have purpose. Listen, you have purpose in Jesus Christ. God created you with deep purpose for him. And that was distorted through sin. And it spread through all humanity. And Jesus came and made a way so that we can once again fulfill our purpose. God is giving his children the grace to bring their behaviors in line with their restored identity is what Paul's saying. God is giving his children the grace to bring their behaviors in line with their restored identity. This is who you are in Christ now. When God sees you, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're truly in Christ, if you've been united with him, and he sees you, and he sees Jesus in you, and he begins to restore your identity. And so made in the image of God, made to resemble God, to bring him glory, to reflect his image to each other, to even the angels and the demons. It's a pretty significant purpose, right? It's no small deal. And how do we show that? In Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll get into Ephesians the next few weeks, but in chapter 4, Paul writes about, in the first part of 20, 21, 22, he's talking about the old self and putting off the old self, getting rid of those old behaviors, and then verse 24 he says, and then we put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. So you want God's likeness to be seen in you? We gotta go old school. Holiness, right? Not a word that gets thrown around. Holiness. Be holy as I am holy, God says. If you reflect the Creator, it's through the holiness. Positionally in Christ, and then practically As we said in Colossians, we're being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's what God has done. Imaging God through our lives. So if you want to drill down to your deepest purpose, if you're in here and you're 15 or 18 or 22 or 35 or 75, who are you? If you drill down to the core, what makes you you? And God says the whole purpose for your creation was to be an image bearer, to reflect him. And all people are worthy of dignity and respect because they're made in the image of God. But the truth of Scripture, sadly for us, but we recognize that God is way beyond our ability to comprehend, a just and holy God demands that his wrath be satisfied. And he offers Jesus as the perfect sacrifice. But for those who have rejected Jesus, not accepted Jesus as their Savior, when God sees that person, his justice demands eternal separation from him. There's no other way. He's perfect. He's holy. He's just. So Christ makes a world of difference as the understatement of the world of of the day, right? He makes a huge difference in our lives. He gets us back to our original purpose. He makes us reconciled, is the biblical word, with God. And he sets us on a path of being restored into his image. And here's my fear, honestly, as a parent, and I speak to parents. It's not the biggest priority in our lives, in our families. And I know we're going to regret that one day. The fact that we look at our kids and we want all these things for them. And at the end, none of that matters. And so are we taking all of life and helping them see this is your purpose? Sadly, over the years, as, as a student pastor for many years, I've seen kids who I thought were pretty solid, completely and utterly go off the rails. And the very core of who they were, they begin to question. And their lives not only don't resemble Jesus, Many of them have completely rejected Jesus altogether. And if I can go back to Timothy for a second, it goes back to that. I have a form of godliness, but I deny the power. Anybody remember what the denying the power is all about? It, the power to become holier, more holy, holy like God. Holiness in our life, sanctified is the word. And when we refuse the process, you have to examine the core plain and simple. So let's talk about our head, our hands, and our heart. Our head, you are an image bearer of God. God made you to image or reflect him. Every person in here, God has made you to image or reflect him. And our heart makes me go to Romans chapter seven, and think about Romans chapter seven, where Paul the apostle speaks of his internal strife, how that he knows he's he's been justified by faith, but this internal battle continues. And like Paul, we have desires to do what God calls us to do. We desire to do right. We love Jesus, we want to be part of the church, we want truth, we want to know his will, but there's other desires that are competing within us. A love for ourselves and a love for the world. And the result is this internal tug of war that exists. What's the answer to that? That's where the heart comes in. And it's where Paul said when he concluded Romans chapter 7, when he's talking about this huge, incredible struggle that's going on, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the heart today, the head, image bearer, the heart is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. I want my life more focused upon Jesus Christ. I want the grace of him and my union with him to establish my actions, my motives, my reactions, the things I do and say. I want my my life to come in line with what I say I believe this process of being renewed in the image of the Creator. And then hands. Very simply, today, it's the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a vital part of our sanctification and growing in, in godliness. It's not just something we do once a month because it's the first Sunday. It's a gift to us. It literally is a gift to us. It's a gift that causes us as a community community to surround our minds and our hearts with Jesus and go back and reflect upon the main thing of all history, all of history pointed to the cross. It all points to the cross. And we reflect upon Christ and his sacrifice. And we understand that without Christ, that we cannot be who we've been made to be. And so today, as we take a few minutes, and I pray, and just take a few minutes to reflect and examine our lives, the question is this. Do you want Jesus? Do you want him at the top of the deck? Or are you comfortable with him somewhere in the middle or down at the bottom? Or it depends on where you're at. Today, let's move Jesus to the top of the deck. And then tomorrow at work, I'll scoot him down a level or two. And then by Saturday, I'll scoot him down really close to the bottom. But come Sunday, he gets promoted back up to the top again. Right? Right? Our lives are living sacrifices, Paul says. That's what Jesus demands. Let's pray. Father God, we know that as Paul prayed, there's so much of us that desire so many things other than you. I pray you'll give faith to those who struggle to believe that they were truly created as an image bearer, that there's doubts, discouragements, failure, shame, running through their mind even right now because of things that they've been a victim to or things that they've done themselves. Maybe disappointments in their life, things that haven't turned out the way that they hoped they would turn out. And they sit here today judging the reality of you and your goodness based upon their experience. And they're questioning their very identity because they're trusting their feelings more than they're trusting your word. God, I pray you'll give them grace to see faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and restore to them the joy of their salvation. God, we desire to be people who reflect you, not just individually, but corporately as this community. We want people to see us living a life that reflects you. And in that, we fulfill our purpose and we find our greatest joy and satisfaction. So today, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we take communion, help us to thank you for the cross, be real about our failures and our struggles, and admit to you where our heart is at and verbalize to you in our minds or in our words that we desire for you to be central in our life, that our life would be about reflecting you. In Jesus' name.